This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. In this episode, I welcome Gabe Paez. Gabe is the head of product for Autodesk's extended reality team working to revolutionize data interaction and project collaboration for professionals across architecture, engineering, and construction. Previously, Gabe founded The Wild, a cloud-connected XR platform with the mission of enabling building professionals to work together in augmented and virtual reality from anywhere in the world. Gabe has over 15 years of experience leading experiential product teams, designing and developing immersive software solutions and experiences for a diverse roster of companies, including Google, Samsung, Nike, and AT&T. In this episode, we discuss the intersection of humans and immersive technologies, the magic of experiencing ideas together, shared reality, the difficulty of change in relation to new tools and workflows, the value of working in different ways the controversial notion of having fun at work, XR as it relates to remote work, shortening the distance between an idea and an experience, experiential tools, the value of collaboration, synchronous and asynchronous work on projects, interactive and manipulatable environments, persistence of virtual environments, and more. As always, I hope you'll not only find value in this episode for yourself, but that you'll help add value to the profession by sharing it with your network to help spread these conversations. You can also really help me out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. It helps others find it through the power of algorithms. So without further ado, I bring you Gabe Paez. Gabe, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, I'm excited about this because uh, you're the first guest from Autodesk on the show. And uh, you guys reached out to me and obviously have news to to share and to spread. And I, and I like kind of your trajectory, how you've gotten to where you are uh, in the VR, XR sphere and coming from the wild. And you've got ties back to Iris. And we've had guests on the show before from Shane was on from from Iris. So take us like on this journey that you've been on for I don't know how long now, but several years at least. And tell us kind of how you got to where you are and and then we'll get into where you're going. Yeah. So, I mean, in many ways, the journey feels as it often does, like my entire career sort of leading up to this moment. And largely, you know, since I've been even before I was a professional in the workplace, I've been really obsessed with not just technology, not just software, but really how technology intersects with us as humans. And I, I really developed my passion for virtual reality and augmented reality before I even had words to call it that. But just this idea that we can interact with technology and the internet in a way 
that isn't isn't focused on a singular device. And this was really, you know, my my career in terms of immersive technologies really started in in the early 2000s when I was working on projects around uh, physical spaces. So and software design for those spaces. So one of my very first projects was actually a coffee table in the lobby of like a corporate building. And it was meant to display like digital content about that corporation. And I just thought it was so cool, this idea that you could have a piece of furniture that was augmented with technology where you could access information that just honestly wasn't in the format of like a computer that I sit at at a desk and that people could sit around with it and interact with it. And I just thought it was really interesting. And that sort of carried forward year over year until finally I founded The Wild, really, and and decided to really buckle down on looking into this current state of virtual reality and how it would change our ability to work together and collaborate. So The Wild, for those who don't know, like maybe even going back to the basics, is an immersive collaboration platform for the building industry to work together in augmented and virtual reality. The idea is to create a an immersive workspace where all of the stakeholders on a project can come together and meet and review and ideate inside of this building from idea stage all the way through construction. But you're collaborating immersively, you know, as if the building was actually built because, and this is leveraging this new technology, virtual reality and augmented reality, create an amazing illusion, an amazing magic trick, uh, an amazing capability for humans, honestly, that lets you experience an idea fundamentally. And in doing so, evaluate it at its core, you know, understand why what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and make it better and better before you have all of the high stakes of waste that come later in the building life cycle. So you make changes once you're on that construction site. And it's not just a money, a waste of money. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of materials. And all of those have major impact on our society and our world and our businesses and and us fundamentally. Yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of think about this as like how this started. Like with the things that you're just saying is about like bringing people together, right? And your first like tabletop computer that you designed like the old school, not not quite like the old school Pac-Man machines, right? That were the sit-down version of Pac-Man in the arcade, right? In the pizza in the pizza joint, those were super cool. But but the idea of like player 1, player 2 at a table together was a different take on video games back then, right? And and then for you to actually do a, a tabletop computing, it, like bringing people to like sitting around a piece of furniture, like computing together and how that has <laughs> so wildly like transformed into this idea of bringing people into space virtually together in disparate locations. And like you said, like this ultimate kind of trick of, you know, this magical trick that happens because I've experienced it myself, um, definitely have felt that level of magic happen where it's like you take the goggles back off and you're like, oh, I'm here. Like you you were actually there. Like it really does trick your mind and you become a different person. Like that's something that I've talked about on the show. I've had Andrea Kajokaru on the show and she's talked about this idea of like this these personas that you play. And when you go into VR, like you're you're kind of a different person. You get to experience it a very different way 
then because it's early, because the thing isn't built yet, but you feel like you're there, but you're in a completely different space while doing it, meeting with people in other completely different spaces, but they feel like they're there. And especially when it comes to like a client being a piece of that, who doesn't read drawings, who looks at renderings and probably thinks they're different than what you're thinking they are, they're representing when you're showing it to them. And they get into VR and they're like, they're tricked. It's real. All of a sudden, it's real. Like you just teleported into this thing. And I think like there is something to really key in there about the magic of that. And I'm not trying to like oversell VR. I think it's it's still like there's a lot of people out there who are like, dismissive of it as an idea because it's not real because for various reasons i'm sure because they've never tried it as one one really good reason right you don't know until you actually try it um but but i just think this idea this magic is kind of a a key thing to to really hone in on early because it is it is wild like not to play off the name of your company but like it is it is wild to get in there and feel like it's real well, you're keying in on a few really interesting and important points. I've, I think the first one is just this word real, like what is real? As I said before, you know, what we're trying to do here is to experience ideas. And an idea and an early stage, it is, it is a thing. It's something that is going to transform from a virtual thing that lives in my mind into a physical thing in the case of a building that we will construct and experience in the physical world. Our ability to experience that together, you know, not just in my head that I can, I can dream about it. And this is my vision of what I want to build, but for you and I to go inside of that building and experience it together as we will in its final form, that feels pretty real to me, you know? Yeah. And so I don't, I, I don't like this idea that even a, like a virtual reality is it's, it's like we have real real reality and then virtual reality. In many ways, I think that we're moving into a generation where all of these experiences are fundamentally real. That being said, they aren't all, some are virtualized, some are physicalized, and that's the spectrum that we're playing with. But our ability to manifest something into a shared reality, I mean, that's why we call it a reality is is really the capability that's the wild idea you know that is the invention it's a new it's a new capability for humans and that's why i like this industry like this professional use there are many applications of why this is a cool technology and really neat for gaming and and even other industries but why i really love it for this industry is it it solves a problem in a way that cannot be solved any other way prototyping a building, like prototyping an idea for a building, it is done. You build scale models and, um, but even a scale model is like, you can't really experience it from the first there's person. There's a cave, you know, these, ver- these there, cave with projection and things like that. Right? Which is a form of, of, of virtual reality or augmented reality. So it's, there are different, there are different ways that we attempt to do it. None of those are as personal as like this idea of getting in with the headset and the, the marriage of hardware and software here as it these inputs into your nervous system right like <laughs> your sensory input devices like there it's just this this interplay that like it kind of goes back to this idea of magic and trickery right like it really is kind of this trick that transports you 
And that to me is what makes it feel very different. Because if I'm holding a model, a physical model in my hand, I'm not transported. Like there is novelty to that. Like there's, it's interesting. And, and it speaks to people in a different way than drawings do for sure. But it doesn't transport you. It's, I, maybe I, I see it with kids, right? Like kids build things and they pretend that they're, and they can, they can, you see that wonder working with kids as they build a Lego and they feel like they're the pilot of that ship or in that space or whatever. But this is like that for adults. I feel like it's, it's that version of, cause I, I don't know if, if not everybody loses their sense of wonder as they grow older, but it does seem to diminish. And, and I think what's so interesting is watching older folks like me or whatever, put on a headset and, and just be blown away and say, this is way different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, because everyone goes in with preconceived notions of what this yes, is. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality, these are tools, just like all tools in the history of humanity to, to try to in, improve and increase our capability as humans, mm-hmm. you know, and what seems novel right now and, and different and very strange, honestly, like you put on these weird headsets and you're in another, you know, a, a place where things are possible that aren't possible in the physical world. I right. mean, that, that once people do it, once you do it more and more, and we see this with our customers, I mean, this feels very abstract right now. Like that we will do this five years from now or 10 years from now, people mm-hmm. are doing this every day. Like we have right. real customers working in virtual reality every day is a core part of their process. You know, that is what uh, it becomes normal. It becomes uh, standard because you see the value in it. You see how this allows something that's very hard. When you have a big ambitious idea, a vision for what you want to do, and you're trying to convince, you know, the electrician and the general contractor and our client, and we're, we're having to coordinate these big ambitious ideas for a stadium or an airport or or even at a residential home, like mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's frustrating for a lot of our customers to try to align on ambitious ideas and get confident mm-hmm. sign off on those ideas and for everyone to be aligned on those ideas. And so, you know, in, in the building industry, we create a lot of abstractions like drawings and sketches and 3d renders to try to align, but they're still abstractions. Right. So having the ability to just go into that building together and to just as you would in the end of the project, but in the beginning of the project or the middle of the project and make sure that you're aligned, that's incredibly valuable, you know, and that's, and it becomes normal, I guess, to get back to where we started here is like, it becomes normal because you get used to it, honestly. And, and you get frustrated when you're, when you're then not in virtual reality and trying to explain, no, the soffit is going to be right here or no, this line this plumbing line is going to intersect with the building right here, intersect with it right here. And so, so I think that's where, that's where it'll get normalized over time is just people experiencing it, people enjoying it and people yeah. finding the, the, the value, the values in it that make them want to do it more and more. As a new tool in the toolbox, right? There's always kind of this hurdle that you have to get over to get somebody to consider adding a new tool to the toolbox and what you're talking about is people using it over time as a tool not just an endpoint i think a lot of people who've been in the business for a long time don't see there being any room for more tools in the toolbox right so because it doesn't fit the it's not a normal app 
as one way to think about it. It's not the way that I normally communicate with clients. It's difficult to get even clients to put a headset on because I don't even want to put one on myself, et cetera. We see all these kind of hurdles, but like this idea of using it as a decision-making tool, not just a communication device is what I think is so interesting about the modern tool set for architects is like real-time rendering is an example of that. Had discussions about that on the show where renderings used to be an endpoint and now they can be used for decision-making. And real-time has helped that because changes happen fast and renderings are now basically free, right? So before they were very expensive and they came at the end and they were photorealistic, the highest quality, they took a lot of production time. And so like there's still that thinking, I think about the way we communicate and the way that it's like, no, that's that's an additional service. It's not part of our core list of services because maybe they don't understand the value in it for themselves or for their clients. And that's to me, like those are two sides of the same coin. Like they can't, I, I think people still think of these tools as just beneficial to communicate to a client when it's actually valuable to communicate to yourself or your somebody on your team about what the line you just drew actually means. Like you, you, use the example of the soffit no the soffit's here like do you understand the line you just drew or the the element you just modeled and and actually what that experience feels like in that space not just like oh yeah it's at seven feet or whatever right and it's made out of jip and it's got recessed lighting but like what does it feel like in the room when you're standing under it is is another level and i think that's what's so interesting about vr and where it's come it, especially when I can just be sitting at my desk, do the model, throw the thing on, and I'm there. Like you're in it, and you can actually feel it. I think that is such an interesting way to make design decisions and use tools in new ways to do that and experience it for yourself. I mean, what what kinds of stories are you hearing from people who are using the software on this kind of you know as part of their tool set? I won't say on a daily basis because not everybody gets to be in in that mode all the time but throughout the life of projects you're going to continue to come back to a tool like this and like what are the stories that people tell you that are kind of successful and maybe not successful too just to kind of tell a fair story here like what are what are the the things that you hear as the seer overlord of this whole process not overlord's a bad term but like this is a cool this is a cool thing and you probably get to hear a lot of cool stories you know they're tremendous you sort of started with this idea of like change is hard and you're right on that change is hard, not just changing technologies, but people get used to working in a, in a certain way and, and they're comfortable working in that way. And it's, yeah. it's, it's the, the initial point is just showing, first of all, them understanding the value of working in a different way. And this is, I guess, one example of, of a really exciting thing for me is, or the, the, thing, the thing that we see again and again is if, if somebody gets a headset and they get a trial of our, of our software, um, the wild or prospect by RSVR, like our two softwares that we sell at, at Autodesk in the XR space, oftentimes in that very first demo that they'll have with our sales team or on their own, they'll go into their model and they'll find an issue. Mm-hmm. They'll see a problem that with, they never saw before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so th- that happens again and again and again. Like they mm-hmm. just see something that they had not seen before and they're in their active project that they're considering you. 
And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're like, usually they come in and they're considering, oh, we'll use this to show our clients it more as a, like a presentation pool, a, leading with a presentation pool. But the reality is when you go into the demo and all of a sudden you see, you know, something that's not right. And, and this, their major financial reputation material, again, like all of the ramifications of missing that and the fact that they just saw it, you immediately map the value and you say, oh, wow, okay, I have shown that for even myself, this can be really beneficial. I can find issues myself. I, my teammates could help find issues even just in, in design review or coordination reviews. And there's a lot of value in the collaboration, collaborating immersively and reviewing immersively. So those are, those are some of my, excite, my most exciting like, uh, stories, anecdotal stories. But, but then also we hear about customers you know, post-adoption, so they've proved it for themselves. They're, they're spreading it internally. And there are a lot of you know, customers I could point to on this, uh, on this front, um, Payne, Gilbane, Leo A. Daily, all of these customers doing different use cases different use case, different applications of VR, some, you know, like Kane working in MEP, you know, to on, on projects, but, but Leo A daily more in like the architecture space, all of them like fundamentally trying to line on what we need to do next. And all of them coming back to us and saying like, this see, well, just, just being a testament to the value that's being created saying, maybe we came to this software because it was a cool, it was a cool thing that we were interested in. We were hearing about in the industry, but now that we've incorporated this and that we're utilizing this, this technology, it's becoming more and more foundational mm-hmm. to, and an important part of our process. And, you know, that's truly exciting to me. Like as who's been a champion of this technology for many years, I just love any of those cases where people are able to move beyond the, oh, wow, this is like a wild, crazy new technology to this is a transformative technology that's really creating value for me as a professional in my career. Yeah, Like that is the dream. You know, that's that's what I want more and more people to see and understand. But to get there, to, to span the gap of change, you have to experience it. You have to try it. You can't just watch a video of it. You can't just listen to a podcast about it. Like, you have to get into a headset and try it. And that sometimes is the hardest span to jump. Sure, sure. Because it requires effort. <laughs> you got to exactly. acquire the, the hardware. You got to download the stuff. You got to learn. You got to find the button. You got to do all those things. Yeah. And that on the negative side, I mean, talk about the real challenges that we face. And, you know, that's one of the huge ones, of course. Like, this is still novel technology. Most people don't have headsets. Even in our, even in a lot of the firms where we have real um, adoption happening, they have a few headsets. They don't have a headset at every desk. And this is where we are in the state of XR is still in the phase of showing what true adoption looks like at scale. And you know, that's, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey to get there. There's a few things in this conversation that I, I wanted to get to, because I think one of the things that I've talked about this before on the show too, it, and, and it's just come up many times through my own experiences with VR, which is, you know, transformative from communicating 
design ideas through plans and renderings and sections and things like that, which is you're always kind of curating the drawing, curating the rendering, the view, the angle. Uh, it, it allows you to focus your efforts into that one location of whatever you're looking at. And I mean, when I was when I was in school, it was it was apparent like we only have this much time to get this thing done. It doesn't change once you get into being a professional either. It's like during the design process, you can't have it all to the same level all at the same time, right? And so we that's why we curate views, right? Here's where we want to focus the discussion about this. And we want to make decisions about this. So a lot of times we'll just say, no, we're only going to look at these three views, right? In in VR, it's different. It's like, I mean, you can still have that conversation. You can say, we haven't been working on that over there because we're talking about this over here. But it does kind of force an honesty of the designer to say, or an accountability of like, you're giving them full freedom inside the space to look everywhere inside the space or of the project and really experience it. And I think like that, knowing that that's going to happen kind of changes the approach. So it does kind of change the architect's workflow or the engineer's workflow to start to apply effort more evenly across the board, maybe so that when they do turn around, like there is a wall there or there is a something there that, that maybe wouldn't have been there in a rendering kind of a scenario, right? Like anything behind the camera, I don't need to model it, right? It, but in front of the camera, that's what matters. In VR, that's different. You have that freedom of movement. And so have you seen, have you been tracking like people's thoughts and opinions about, or, or is this just like, yep, this is the new norm. We're, we're fine with it kind of a thing when it comes to people practicing and using these tools. You're keying in on one of the major challenges. Um, and something, you know, you'd absolutely we're in dialogue with our customers about often, which is, well, I, I wouldn't say that the desired outcome or, or that, that working in VR means we have to sort of go wide before we go really nail something. I've seen, it's, it's all about, well, number one, generally here we're talking about presentation, which is I'm presenting a concept and this is a delicate moment where as any designer knows in any industry, your first take or a client's first take on a project can sometimes be negative for all the wrong reasons. Sometimes it's materiality. Like you put red on the wall and they're like, no, oh, that's not brick. Like, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, I'm not even there yet. You that's know, totally a thing. Yeah. 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 And, but that doesn't necessarily mean that our options are limited to, you know, the absolute obvious in XR. There are many features or, or tools to address these these challenges in even in an immersive workspace. Like one of the ways that we do it um, in the wild is with a feature called Tours, which essentially locks the oh you have one presenter that's in in the front of a tour, just like you would take a tour of a building. You have one presenter in the front, and then you have participants that are all in a fixed point of view. Now they can still look all around, but they're not like free moving around the space. And then you're shifting from one viewpoint to the next. So you're progressively moving through the building just as you would fundamentally, you're creating like you would in a slide deck, you're creating like, we're going to start here. We're going to go here. Then we're going to get here, but it's more controlled than just like a free for all. And so in many ways, this type of a capability, it takes the best of like how we 
sort of traditionally present and then puts it into also having the values of, of a workspace where, and sorry, an immersive environment where you can still control their position within a space and make sure that also they're experiencing the building on your terms or as you want to show that, show it to them, but they still have some freedom to be able to look around and experience the space. Uh, immersively as they would in the building. It also has the benefit of a tour is really cool because every single viewer has the best seat in the house. So when you give a tour of a physical building with absolutely, which is a real challenge. You, you try to give uh, 15 people a tour of a building and you go into a mechanical room and try to show them the plumbing <laughs> you know this is a real problem like one person goes in at a time and in a tour absolutely everyone can go into a tight confined space and be right there looking at exactly what i want them to see so there there are real advantages um you know a lot of like what we look at in our process is not just how to match the physical world you know, often what I say is like, we're trying to meet inside of the building as we would when you're finally in the bu- the building is built. But that that is the assumption that we're just trying to say, and we want you to be able to move through that building just as you will when the building is finished. I think the bar is much higher than that, where we want to be superior, a superior, a more capable experience than you ever could do in a physical room, because we have capabilities in an immersive workspace that you don't have in the physical building, like putting everyone in a fixed position and not feeling incredibly awkward, you know, and, and, and more as well, like scaling size, being a giant and looking down on it as you would from, you know, a high vantage point or being incredibly small and looking at, you know, on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean, looking like in a very confined space at one specific thing. And that's an amazing capability as well. All of that is possible in virtual reality. And it's, that's another leap that people, people can make. I think one of my f- most fun experiences in VR was, was taking clients into their building that was not real yet. And this older gentleman put on the headset. He was all for it, man. He couldn't wait to do it. And when he got in there, it was, he, he turned into a kid. He was just having the most fun because what was he doing? Like he was stepping over the railing, right? Of the, of the mezzanine. He was sticking his head through a wall, right? And he was, he's like, in the room, out of the room, in the room. And he was just having fun. And everybody around him was having fun because they were watching him have fun. And I thought that was like, it was really interesting to see kind of this fun, childlike maybe behavior happen with this guy who was like in his late 60s. And he was just having a blast in it because it was a new experience for him. He, it was a superior experience in the way that like he, he could do things that he can't do in the real world, right? Like stick your head through a wall or step over the railing and not fall to your death. Right. (laughs) So it was things like that, that it, it, it lightened the room to enable others in the room to have a good experience in VR too. Right. And I think that was like just other people watching his behavior in there helped them get over the hurdle of putting the headset on and trying it themselves. Whereas like, if if you're watching what somebody else is experiencing on a screen next to them and you get sick, you, there's no way you're putting that headset on, right? It, it, it's such a, it's what firms go through to obscure what that other person is seeing so that nobody else makes a judgment call and decides not to put the headset on is 
like these are hoops that that people have to kind of figure out sometimes right in in their firms because that that has definitely happened multiple times it's like people see their eyes and their head shifting around looking at different stuff and they're like if that's what it looks like i'm not going in there right but it's not like that it's so different when you actually have the headset on but so i don't know I, i'm kind of going off on a tangent here but I, I feel like this idea of when you get in there and having this superior experience is really interesting and this is where like you could go down the rabbit hole of the metaverse and how people could have a superior experience all the time in the crappy office that you sit in every day could be a game changer for for a lot of things potentially it could also lead lead you down some weird tunnels i'm sure but like that there is some interesting psychological things happening and for you to be thinking about that as you design the tool that many people are going to be using has to be kind of like there's got to be some weight in those decisions, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, it seems weird that this would even sound controversial, but I believe that work can and should be engaging and fun. And I mean that not because like we deserve to have fun at work, but like that it makes for better business if people are engaged. Mm. When you're sitting in a conference room or at an event and you're like slumped over in a chair watching someone present a deck that's boring as hell and you're not paying attention, money is being burned. You think of all of the awful, boring, unengaging meetings that you have been a part of in your life and just how much inefficiency and waste there is in that. When people are active and engaged, and, and I'll be honest, like a lot of it has to do with just our physicality as humans. We are not meant to sit and like slump over at these desks all day. We're meant to be standing out of a chair, like engaged, moving around. We're so, we, our heads think more clearly. Our, we can stay, at, have much more attention. We can learn things so much more clearly if we're engaged and, and our blood is flowing and our, you know, we're breathing. And this is one of the major promises of XR is to say, as humans, we are not meant to just like sit slumped, stare at computers all day. We will actually be better. We will think more clearly if we can be physically engaged and, and let's just say it like ha enjoying ourselves more as a part of our work. So you're inside of this workspace, you're standing up, you're moving around, you're sticking your head through that wall, just like you're saying this guy did. Mm -hmm. And that's he's he's alert he's paying attention you're paying attention because you're watching him and 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 foundationally you're going to have a more effective collaborative meeting than you would if you were just like unengaged and staring at a screen together yeah yeah i i, I controversial hot takes on the podcast here that work work could and should potentially be fun and physical <laughs> yeah for better business like right right yeah it's just to me, that is, you know, it's interesting also, this gets into a, the topic and uh, this is really more, much more controversial about what really what the world is going through right now in terms of physical buildings and workplaces versus working remotely. And now the whole world has seen the extremes here. We know what it's like to travel in and work in a physical workplace. We know what it's like to work remotely from our homes. And in some ways, companies have completely embraced um, work from anywhere. 
In other ways, companies have said, hell no, we are going back to the back to the office because we're more engaged. And my question is fundamentally, why? And there are multiple reasons, in my opinion, the why why some people enjoy being at that physical workplace together. One of them is just the energy we get off of each other as humans working together in, in a, in a, in a room, our proximity, being able to talk to each other in the lunchroom or, or in these casual intersections of, of people between people. But also part of it is being able to physically get up and move around and go from my desk here to the conference room over there, walking to the lunchroom over there one of the challenges of working from remotely from home is that physically you're like sitting at a desk most of the day. And so it's sort of amplified this problem, this, in my opinion, like this desk problem in a, in a way. And, and it just doesn't feel good to, to work in that way. And so I think that this is one way that we can sort of write that and understand what it's like to work remotely, work from anywhere both with our coworkers, but also with our clients and our collaborators that don't work at our, you know, with us directly, um, but still be physically engaged and still be having fun together, you know, have casual conversations, have intense conversations and be able to look at each other inside of a virtual workspace. You know, all of these things are good and a move forward, in my opinion, versus what we have now with only solely collaborating via, you know, chat chat or video on a computer. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. You've heard about Avail here on the Troxel podcast, and I'm excited to tell you they have a new message for you, my friends. Avail is designed by designers for design professionals. So it's no wonder Avail focuses on visuals in its platform. While Avail has always provided high resolution previews, there are some new visual enhancements you should know about. These are channel cards and key cards. They're visual gateways to your content, and they're both customizable. Channel cards have been available since Avail Desktop 4.0. Think of them like album covers for each content channel you create. Channel cards are designed to make navigating your firm's assets quick and easy. And with channel cards, the look and feel of Avail conforms with your firm's standards. Next up is key cards, and these are the latest addition to Avail and are available since version 4.3. What are they? Key cards visually group content within a channel, and they derive data from your tags to make finding content easier. So they're created from the work you've already done. By adding custom graphics to your key cards, navigating content within a channel improves immediately. Key cards also drive the breadcrumb trail in the latest Avail Desktop 4.3 release. Navigate through your channels using breadcrumbs. And a new breadcrumb control is displayed on a channel when navigating with key cards. Breadcrumb items allow the user to navigate to the previous state easily. To see all of these new visual enhancements in action, head over to getavail.com to learn more. That's getavail, G-E-T-A-V-A-I-L.com to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. This to me is, is, was a wake up call. It was a fundamental kind of game changer for VR, which was when the first time I used Iris's, you know, meet in the model tech. And we had talked about it before that had come out, you know, someday, maybe in a few years, we'll be able to meet in the model. And then Iris came out with that. And it was, it, it was 
incredible. And the thing that you're just talking about right now, I think to me, when you experience that, and it so so it doesn't have to be about the model, it can be about getting work done. It could be about collaborating on this presentation. It could be about collaborating on whatever this thing is that we're talking about right now on our desks, right? And and being able to do that with somebody who is not physically in the same space as you is huge. Like there, I, I personally have experienced that, and I cannot deny the power of that as well. And I think that is really where VR's kind of killer app is, right? Which is is the ability to connect with people and feel like you are present with them. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but presence is kind of like the sense of it and you can hear them there is you know the audio um directionality can work in in places like that where i can tell if they're on my left or my right because i'm turning my head um you see an, a representation of them in some form avatar or whatever and to me like that's this that's kind of the superpower of vr because you can go into a model by yourself and experience it by yourself and take notes and oh yeah i that shouldn't be like that okay there's a problem but when you meet somewhere like a, a virtual location with another per, a physical person that's in a different place, that is kind of magic. And I think like that's the power of VR. And can we do that all day, every day? I don't think so. At least with current hardware, right? I I assume it'll it'll get somewhere else where it it will make that entirely possible. So still maybe early days in that aspect. But when you do it. It's it is amazing, and I think that that to to your point, like, um, with the question of why location based matters or or doesn't matter, I think is is truly kind of like the next frontier in work, right? Which is, can we actually be anywhere? And as architects, like they've always they the royal profession has always talked about the magic of being in the space together, the collaborative nature of what we do and standing around the table with rolls of trace and coming up with ideas. And like that actually can happen now and you can be anywhere like in VR. And I, I don't know that enough people have tried it to maybe understand that. I'm sure the ones that do understand it, see the benefit of it, but it is again, one of those things you really have to experience to, to understand what that's like. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, 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 it's the thing that really got me so passionate about this as being something beyond just definitely revolutionizing an industry, you know, being able to share, you know, shorten the distance between an idea and a shared experience. Um, so part of that can be experienced alone, just being able to walk that building, but you're keying in on just like a fundamental part of this that is truly to the transformative part of immersive technologies. And I, I say virtual reality, but also augmented reality in, in this note. Our ability to transport people across the world instantly, anyone, to share space with each other is incredible. Like it's truly a transformative idea that... S- addresses so many challenges that we have right now in terms of just getting the expert there with you to have the conversation. We feel like we're so much farther. We live in this like revolutionized technical world where anything is possible and every, you can get everything on the internet instantly, but really what are we getting? You know, even I, I, 
our social networks, they're informational networks. Like we're not actually together on these networks. They're not experience networks, right? They're not. I mean, you're, sh- you're sharing data, you're sharing, you know, text, you're sharing images, you're sharing videos. And m- maybe that does happen in real time, but th- that's not people coming together, actually having an interaction uh, in real time, just like as we do as humans, you know, <laughs> beyond just like this technology version of, of real interaction. And I think that that's where we're trying to head right now is to take that next step and say, you know, who we are as creative individuals trying to work together. There is, there's something better than we have right now. And we can find it if we can make it less about the devices, like my laptop, my desktop, my screen that I look at, my tablet, and more about my experience so that I, when I'm in that headset, it's not about the headset. The headset disappears. The headset is not a part of it. It's about the experience that I have where I'm standing looking at you in that space and we're walking through the building. And that's really, that, that's what we're pursuing here. That's why it's worth it. And that's why it's transformative. Can you, I, I mean, let's shift gears a little bit here. I, I, I love well, like where this conversation is going. I would love to kind of talk about what it's taken to get here technology wise. Like what are the hurdles that had to be converging all at the same time for this to happen right like there's there's screens in front of your face there's driving this at 90 frames per second or whatever there's the models there's streaming there's cloud there's all of these things that kind of had to converge to make this possible and and i'm sure like there's no one better to talk to you about that no one better to talk about that than you so what 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 has that journey been like on the tech side of things like under the hood because like in order to get to the experience side which just feels magical right and and that's great and that's for for most people like that's where it actually should stop right like that just get the best part like that's totally like candy right just just dessert at the end but man it took a lot to get there can you kind of talk about where vr has come from and and what it's gone through to get to this point where now it, it, it does feel like magic when you put on a, a wireless headset, for instance. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say like, honestly, as someone who's worked in this space for many years, I am humbled by the effort that it took from so many different people and teams to get to this point that we're at. It's incredible because you had to stack innovation on innovation on innovation to make any of this possible. I mean, all the way down to chip technologies, like the the, uh, GPUs, how they've progressed year over year. The mobile revolution was essential to get to the miniaturization of technologies, uh, battery technology. There there are so many foundational hardware and software innovations that have happened over the years to make this new crop of technology even more than a prototype or a dream. And, you know, I've seen, I've been a part of that over the years and always, always you're building for what you have and with a vision to the future. So you have a vision of what this could all become, but, you know, as a business person, I have to be practical about where we are today and where we are today is what I dreamed about years, just a few years ago, to be quite honest with you, the 
the headsets that we have now, we were like, someday this will be possible. <laughs> you know, very basic things, but it's happened. I mean, there was a period of time where you couldn't put a headset on for more than, you know, five minutes. Like our average time was one to five minutes in headset. Yeah. And then you, now, then you'd run to the bathroom cause you were going to be sick, right? Because exactly. <laughs> there weren't enough, there wasn't a high enough frame rate or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That was not that long ago right. to be quite honest right. or the battery would die or it would crash. Or it was like, there are many reasons, the experience side, the, the stability, the reliability, you know, we see now half hour, hour, multiple hours, like this is all possible right now inside of a VR headset. I mm. would not say we are to all day by any stretch of the imagination. Don't get me wrong. Like looking at VR as a core part of your all day workflow. No, that is a vision now. That is not a reality. But you can see the progress that I have seen in a few years to get us to where we are even today. You can see a path forward to that. And that's every part of the stack, not just hard, hardware is a part of it. The right. form factor of the hardware, the, the um, battery life, the reliability, the software, the experience of the hardware, you know. But the other side is the software itself. And a lot of people look, like, look at the avatars um, now and they're like, oh, they're cartoony. The, you know, I can't imagine it feeling like me or like you. Well, first of all, I would argue... It's amazing how even with a low fidelity or a lightweight avatar, you still feel presence with other people in the space. So even where we are now is it, it just psychologically, it's a weird thing about the psychologically of sharing virtual space with somebody else. It's amazing how much you just like adopt that I look like this and you look like this. And I, it feels like multiple people in the space. It's that persona but, thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still very, it, it is, yeah. you know, the, Looking at it in the timeline of this technology and where we're headed, we're in the very early days. Like you look at the the film industry, I don't even think we're to like the Toy Story mo moment of you know the CG revolution. Yeah. Where, but now you know, look at where we are now, even on that journey, starting with just like very basic computer graphics and going and hitting like really pivotal milestones of like Toy Story, and then an awkward period of a lot of movies that just looked crazy into the uncanny valley of weirdness. Right. And then you get to a point now where, you know, challenge anyone to distinguish real from not real in some of these films. Right. right. And we are on that journey with, with XR where the fidelity of even our virtual representation in these spaces will, will be growing leaps and bounds over the next few years. So buckle up. And don't assume that where we are today is where we will be six months from now or five years from now, and definitely not 10 years from now. It's interesting to even, you know, you talk about the, the avatars, like, yeah, so, so like I still have a Nintendo Wii under the, in the entertainment center, right? And, and the whole idea of Miis in there and how you could like create these little Miis and they could represent you and how fun that was, right? Um, I thought that was all that was pretty cool. And this is like, I feel like we're kind of at that stage, maybe a little, obviously a little better, like even with the latest um, meta headset that came out that actually does like facial kind of tracking, right? It's tracking with cameras and sensors, what you're doing so that it can push that through to the virtual experience so that other people can see those things is really interesting. But that also translates to the architecture. Like the, if you're, if you're building a model, 
it does not have to be photorealistically rendered for it to feel real inside of VR. Like it can still feel very real. Like that was what was always so interesting to me about like the early days of our using Iris VR was it's just flat shaded models. I don't even think it had ambient occlusion back then. Like there was a point at which ambient occlusion broke and it, and it was, it was fine. Like it, you didn't have to have it. And, and I thought what an interesting thing, right? Because people are so used to looking at photorealistic renderings coming out of V-Ray that have, you know, some like mad scientist in the back room produces because they know what all the, all the settings do and, and mean, and they can, come up with interesting recipes and then you go into vr and it's like no it's like the low fidelity version of you know a napkin sketch in of of architecture and it's fine i thought that was so so when you talk about this idea of like people getting not being able to get over the hurdle again of kind of maybe something they haven't experienced yet of what it's like to meet in with other people in vr also translate like we we've been there with architecture too right and and of course it's getting better there as well with the rendering and the, the gpus and how many polygons you can shade and all of those things over time it is getting better and better and better and at the same time like it's kind of a law of diminishing returns because like you didn't need the, it turns out you didn't need it you just needed it to be lightweight and, and so that you could experience it i think that's such an interesting kind of psychological and another psychological layer to all of this which is like like you, you, you there's like the marketing side of it where it's got to look photo real because that's where we've seen other things get to before. And then there's like the, the experiential part of it and it doesn't need to be anywhere near that level for it to still be communicating and experiential and, and you feel it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Even, even in the gaming industry, you see this, this bias. Um, a lot of gamers now are ex- expectation of like console games is that they look freaking incredible mm-hmm. and they are beautiful they look mm-hmm. amazing but now you're seeing this crop of um vr gamers who who see that oh actually the the acts of being truly immersed in this game in in so many ways like offsets that need for just like it to look more and more photo real where even some stylized version so we're I guess what I would say is that uh, exact reality reproduction isn't always necessarily the goal. Mm-hmm. And and you see this definitely in the building industry where a lot of our customers, um, especially if you're working in the engineering space, they don't, they don't want it to look photoreal. They want to see the data in a high fidelity way. Mm-hmm. But the, the, idea that it would be perfectly shaded and lit is actually like a detriment, like get all that garbage out of my face. Show me exactly where this electrical run is going to move through the building, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's important to note that the fidelity, even the word fidelity means different things to different types of professionals. And it depends on what you need to see accurately represented. It, you know, in the case of an architect, they materials are important. And lighting can become important. Sound reproduction can become important. Um, All of these things are a factor of evaluating the design. But there are many other professionals um, throughout that process who want to see a different type of fidelity, more on the data side. Mm. And we can deliver fidelity to, you know, we have to address all of those needs because we're trying to solve like a very broad problem uh, across this industry. So you're talking about kind of a visual fidelity, but it, I assume, I mean, 
I know from from previous experience and then just screenshots and things that I've seen of of tools it's like you still have the ability to interact with data in that's not just visual I mean it might be presented in a visual way but I've seen um you know you click tap whatever grab an object see what it is see what categories parameters etc data behind it um people able to draw in space like another layer of augmented re- on top of virtual reality where you could you could highlight something so that you could basically make notes or or explain something like how it should be maybe to another person in VR or for somebody else to come in later and kind of pick up the red lines kind of a thinking um audio notes being left in different places and kind of representing those with some kind of you know object in 3D space that that somebody could come up to later and 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 click on and 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 you know listen to that note from somebody else i think all of this is like really interesting stuff because it's kind of allowing us to think differently about you know other layers rather than just the visual like what what is going on inside of the wild inside of iris in in those respects to because i think a lot of this comes back to like it can be synchronous right meeting in the model but can also be asynchronous and so there's kind of there's a lot going on there that that's possible yeah so the way we look at it at autodesk is that a lot of people look at especially in the building industry look at uh, virtual reality as a visualization tool Mm -hmm. it's a tool to come in and visualize your design and because that's that's a part of it it is it is a big part of it but really the way we see it and you know we've already talked about this like what is the core uh, thing that we're offering here is this this ability to collaborate multiple people together inside of this building and so then what does collaboration mean is really what it begs and the way we view collaboration is we collaborate just as we do in a workspace and in a workspace, when we're in a physical workspace we do together, we have the expectation that it's everything is not static. Everything inside of our physical workspaces is dynamic. I could, you know, run a hammer through this wall and it would break. You know, I could mm-hmm. I could move this chair uh, across the room and it's going to move with my hand as I as I shift it in the space. Um, so this ability to manipulate the environment, leave an artifact in the environment. Um, that that persists. Like if if I leave a note on the on my desk here, and I leave the building, and then you come into my desk and you can see that note. That is an artifact. It's an asynchronous way for me to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And this is the magic of what we can do in a virtual and immersive workspace. Um, we can have persistence of that workspace across time. We can manipulate it. Each person can manipulate it either synchronously in real time in a, in a real time meeting, but also asynchronously if I leave some piece of data in the environment. And maybe that data could be different things. It could be that I move the chair across the room. It mm-hmm. could mean that I lower the, the height of the ceiling. It also could mean that I track an issue on the wall that we want to address somewhere else. It could mean that I leave a sketch. It could be that you drop an image inside. But this, this, uh, Looking at virtual reality as the core, the core capability being created is as a workspace, not as a model viewer is really what I try to, I want people to understand. Mm, Yeah. This idea of the persistency is really interesting, right? Because you can, you can leave it and you can come back to it the next day 
things could have changed or you could pick up where you left off doesn't mean you have to leave the thing running overnight right to do that I, it's really interesting even i've seen demos like an apple keynotes right where they'll do an augmented reality you know game demo and it's like a lego thing and, and there's multiple players holding up ipads looking at this augmented reality table that that the game is playing out on and you know somebody crushes somebody else's castle and whatever and then you come back the next day new day reboot of the ipad whatever start the game up and it's in the state you left it i think is really interesting from a like a virtual environments kind of point of view yeah absolutely i think you know often one of the analogies from the physical workspace is like a war room where we have you have a big project that you're kicking off and you'll have right. a physical conference room that you like Dedicated. go into and all the yeah. all the materials are up on the wall and mm-hmm. you've got you know, that's where we go to have our reviews and our meetings. And, you know, we do that because we want to get immersed in these, in these projects. They're that big, they're that important that we want to do that. So in in many ways, trying to carry that forward, but make it more capable than we can do in a physical conference room, make it more powerful because number one, they're infinitely scalable. I could have a thousand of them. I could have two of them and they all, you know, persist across time. Even even once the project is finished, I can archive it, and I have that artifact. I mean, try to do that with a conference room; <laughs> like, yeah, doesn't no. doesn't work. <laughs> next project, next team, right? But but also <laughs> because of the content that you can bring in, then mm-hmm. you can bring in anything, mm-hmm. you know, multiple buildings into into this space, multiple versions of buildings. You know, it's mind boggling, honestly, when you dig into the possibilities of it. Uh, but the core value is the same. It's like create a space for people to come together and align on the project. Whether you're aligning on a plan, you're aligning on a Revit model or, you know, a Navisworks model or one specific trade, you know, find a place to align on what, what the, that idea is. Yeah. Super, super interesting. I, it would seem like architects would be just like, gobbling this up right like it just seems like such a perfect relationship with a technology because it is spatial by nature and experiential which is like the goal of architecture right is to solve problems spatially and experientially for clients is that the case like i I know that's not the case so what what is the what is that what has that been like uh for you to communicate and because you said it earlier innovations happening on top of innovation so innovators keep innovating on top of innovation the curve goes up into the right and it's just like this hockey stick puck graph that that just takes off and then there's adoption right which is much lower and the gap grows bigger and bigger and bigger so maybe talk through what that's been like for vr in aec yeah you know honestly it's a mixed bag there is there are people real champions who get it who've tried it who understand it and are evangelizing every day just like we are and there are people that are hugely skeptical um would say never not in my industry you know mm-hmm. and there's everyone in between and you know that's to me it's it's part of the process it's normal. Yeah. Like if you didn't get that spectrum of response, especially in the early days, you're not doing something that's very interesting or ambitious in my opinion. 
like you part of part of it and and you know honestly the naysayers the skeptics who are like this this new vr technology is garbage like it's important to have them because they hold us to account to the vision because they're not easily fooled or swayed and it's our burden to show them the value and i think that is it's not just fine i think it's important like it's an important part of our process mm-hmm. to say we have to have a vision it has to be clear and the vision should make sense so you take everything else away like any skepticism it should be like i understand even the skeptics if i can have a conversation with the skeptics who's like it I, the usually it's like i would never put those goggles on you know like but you but you talk about the substance of what we're trying to do and the problems that we're trying to solve, which most of them have experienced. Oh, yeah, I once had this guy sign off on a project and then we got farther down and they were like, I never signed off on that. But it was, <laughs> you know, it's like they've experienced the problems that we're trying to address here. Right. And so and so it's important to be aligned on that vision. Now, whether or not they believe that we are there or where they think we are on the spectrum of actually achieving that vision, that is our burden to keep trying and keep iterating and keep building on the shoulders of these giants, both in the hardware and the software software space to, to be better and better, you know, to create a better and better solution that solves this problem and that people believe in and that people get excited about. And then that becomes normal eventually. You keep ticking off the boxes through developing the product, right? And eventually, like, okay, this is what I was waiting for. Okay, this is what I, this is the thing that I've been waiting for. This is what mm-hmm. I've been talking about needing before I am willing to jump into this. And so, yeah, I mean, the the it's it's not like just trying to keep selling the same thing to the same people who keep saying no, right? It's like, okay, now what 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 do you actually want? What yeah. what do you need to come to to even try it, right? Because then you know, mm-hmm. like chances are once they try it, that's going to change the conversation, right? But it is interesting to kind of track all of the, you know, there's there's the definite like bell of adoption curve, right? And and as you work your way forward in time, mm-hmm. you're also you're also making the product better and, and changing it in meaningful ways to allow other people to say yes to it. Yeah. And and I'll be honest, like sometimes it's logistical and sometimes it's emotional logistical meaning like okay so you look back to the early days of the internet and i mean there were many people in the early days of the internet was like surfing the web why would i mean why would anyone ever buy groceries on the internet or like it doesn't make any sense you know mm-hmm. some of it is the logistics of that not just being possible but being possible in a in a way that creates the value mm-hmm. so you can understand psychologically how okay, I could see, imagine a store on the internet that sells a bunch of stuff and how it could be much more convenient than driving around to a bunch of stores in my city and trying to find one thing and being limited by inventory and so on. Okay, that makes sense. But it takes a while to build that value. And it's a logistics problem. Mm-hmm. And you know, many companies in, have solved these giant logistics problems over time. But the promise is still there. The value is still there. And that's what you have to drive for over that time, especially in the early days when people are just skeptical. Mm. But then the emotional side is different. And it, both are important. I mean, don't, you know, 
undervalue both, you know, say the emotional side of the less important, but a lot of people are unwilling. They, they get attached to certain ideas of how things are done and how things should be done. And it takes longer to sway someone to say, to not just see the value, but to also emotionally embrace a new generation of technology. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. It's like a part of the process to yeah. convince them over time. So that's why you have champions and early adopters and laggards and like, this is just a part of a giant chain, mm-hmm. especially around technology. So as you're developing, as you're hearing the stories from your customers, I, you've been in this for a long time, right? Like you, you've, you've seen where it's come from. Where is it going? Like, what are you excited about? in this XR space? Well, I'll be honest, like, so the wild was acquired by Autodesk Mm -hmm. and that even in and of itself was a giant moment. I mean, I feel so grateful and so fortunate that it was my company that, (laughs) that this happened with, but I just feel like as an industry, it, Autodesk is a major player in this space and software for the building industry, right? And it, a lot of times it takes company, small companies, entrepreneurs like myself, like driving forward, but then it's going to take some larger companies to start embracing this technology and to say, no, we want to drive this forward at scale. And mm. um, all of the implications of that and so I am hugely excited by what Autodesk has done. And I'll be honest, like there are so many horror stories. I have so many founders that I'm friends with that have been acquired. And um, honestly, they just hate it. It's like a nightmare situation and it happens. Mm-hmm. I love working at Autodesk. Like they've been an incredible company. I believe that Andrew, our CEO, has true vision beyond even XR. And I'm excited to be a part of that and to drive it forward at scale um, from within. And so I think this is a major step forward, not just for um, not just for the AC industry, but for virtual reality as a technology, because mm-hmm. I believe what, what VR needs now more than anything are some real tangible value-driven professional use cases to show the world that this technology is not a toy. Mm. And that's a lot of even the bad, you know, PR in in the industry right now, which everyone's heard. It, It is built around the sort of core assumption that we're just playing games here. This is like a fleeting moment. And I am so excited to be a part of showing that there's, there's a lot here. We're seeing it right now, and we will see it grow more and more and more in the coming years. To be able to do that from within Autodesk, is, it's super exciting to me. Very cool. Well, man, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like this kind of, you know, looking behind the scenes, under the hood of, of where VR has come from, and the experiential part of it, and this idea of alignment and bringing people together <laughs> back to your, you, you made a table, right. To bring people together and, and now you're doing it virtually. And it's, it's a, it's a great kind of metaphor for 
all of this technology. And I think what is so interesting about it is how human it is, right? And how human-driven, emotional, experiential, that is a side of what we do in these through the design phases that has been lacking being tapped into for so long because and, and we're so kind of you know in our heads about all of this for so much like you said these ideas are in your head how do you get them out of your head to communicate so that somebody else can experience an idea this has been it's been a long time coming to be able to do exactly that and so i mean kudos to you and the team for you know having that vision a long time ago I think you said uh, before we hit record that you're the turducken of, of VR, right? Autodesk acquiring the wild, which acquired <laughs> Iris, and and but but for all of that stuff to come together to like you know you can never connect those dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. To quote Steve Jobs at one you know during a during a an address, but that was it's so interesting to kind of chart that path and how it's gotten here, but what it's actually doing in the industry to me is super interesting from this kind of emotional experiential level during design before the thing becomes reality and how much value can be unlocked in there. This is something that I feel like the, the AEC industry, or at least the AE part of the industry has been waiting for and, and it's there, take advantage of it, try it. You know, like that to me is like the call to action is just try it. Like this is not something you should wait to try anymore. It's, it works great. Try it. Absolutely. That's the slogan. Try it. Just try Get it. Get in there. <laughs> cool. Uh, I, I'm going to put links to everything that we've talked about into the show notes, but um, you know, social media links where people can follow along. Is there anything anywhere else you want to steer people to um, on the web, uh, on social media that they can see what's going on with you guys? Yeah, just check us out at thewild.com, of course, autodesk.com and uh, irisvr.com. And uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today, though. I appreciate the opportunity to dig into some of these topics. Of course, I'm very passionate and obsessed with a lot of this and, and just really grateful for the chance to uh, go through it and talk it out with you. Yeah, likewise. This has been fantastic. Thanks for joining. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.